week 17. Line it up. Continuing in our study of Acts, the Apostle Paul and Barnabas, last week we learned through a message that I called Push Through It. They had just been through one of the most difficult times in their ministry thus far. Paul was stoned, and he was stoned so bad that they actually thought that he was dying. They had to, they had to take him out of the town, and, and, and the believers circled around him. This was difficult times. This was times when uh, they were going through so much pushback um, with, with the message they were bringing, and Paul and Barnabas pushed through all of that, the most difficult times in ministry up to this point for them, and the fruit of that push-through was that they saw many come to believe, and not just many come to believe, but those believers became disciples. And we saw that Paul and Barnabas went on to plant churches that could function without them all throughout the region. And at the end of chapter 14, after all of this pushback and having to push through and go through uh, people calling them liars and false teachers and then being stoned and then going into the city, planting churches, making disciples, after all this at the end of chapter 14, we see that they enter into a time of rest in Antioch. And a lot of us love to be in that time of rest. Some of us are in that time of rest now. Some of us are ready to be out of the time of rest. Some of us are just ready to, to do something. And I think with that um, anxiousness, if you will, to do something, we have got to remember that everything we want to do, everything that we feel like we are being called to, that we have to learn to line it up. We have to learn what lining it up means and making sure that we're not moving off of emotions, we're not moving off of our own wants and our own desires, but we are moving solely based off of one thing, where does God want me, where is God taking me, and it's what I'm hearing in my thoughts and in my heart lining up with what he wants for me. And I want to start out in Acts chapter 15, obviously in verse 1, but we're going to read verses 1 and 2. It says, while Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria... Now, remember, this is where they were resting, uh, not arresting, but where they were resting. Some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers. Unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Well, Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently, and finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem accompanied by some local believers to talk to the apostles and the elders about this question. Now, these men were not from this area. It says they came from another area. Some men from Judea arrived to begin teaching, hey, you guys say you're saved, but you can't be saved unless you get circumcised. They had a mission. They wanted to persuade all of these new believers that they could not be made right with God unless they did one more thing unless they did the one thing that in their minds was making them right and making them righteous and making them able to say, I accept salvation. And for them, it was they had to fall under the law, the, the law of Moses that everyone had to be circumcised. They wanted to say, y'all are worthy of God, but not until you do one more thing. A law that kept us clean when we had no Redeemer. And Paul actually addressed this law two chapters ago in Acts chapter 13. Just to remind you, in Acts 13, 39, it says this, Paul speaking, everyone who believes in him is made right in God's sight. Something the law of Moses could never do. The apostle Paul is saying, 
Everyone who believes is made right. The law of Moses could not make you right. The law of Moses kept you in a certain obedience to God. It kept you in a way where you had favor with God, but it never made you right. There is only one thing that makes you right, and that is Jesus. That is the blood of the Lamb that was spilled for you. There is no other thing that makes you right. This is not a matter where they could be in disagreement. This was not something that new believers came in and they were all agreeing, yeah, Jesus saves us. There was no dispute. These were believers. These were believers who believed in Jesus. There wasn't any question about that. But you have a divide right here in the church. Some believers are preaching you don't have to do the law of Moses when it comes to having to be circumcised to be saved. Jesus is enough. Then you got another group of new believers who are coming in from, it says, Judea, saying, no, 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 no. Jesus saves you, but you also got to do one more thing. Now, this disagreement had to do with salvation. And this disagreement, it could, they could not give opinion to it. And today what I want to talk to you about is there are some things that we can disagree on and move forward. But there are some things that we cannot make error for. And what happens in the church is that Satan loves to take advantage of, of situations and twist your mind to cause division amongst people. And one of the biggest things in the church of today that I believe why the church is not as effect, effective as it should be is that we're so busy putting out fires in our own houses of worship because of division and disagreements that we cannot be unified on moving forward. Romans 16, 17 through 18 says this, and now I make one more appeal, my dear brothers and sisters. Watch out for people who cause division and upset people's faith by teaching things contrary to what you've been taught. Stay away from them. Such people are not serving Christ our Lord. They are serving their own personal interests by smooth talk and glowing words. They deceive innocent people. We have got to be weary of something in the church. Things that cause division. And the reason there is so much division is because we don't know how to handle disagreements. And when it comes down to it, everything has to be lined up with the truth of Scripture and how Jesus taught it. And if a teaching is contrary, it's not to be received. But what we have done in the church in America is we say, well, you can believe what you want and we can just part ways. But separate thinking should never divide. In this passage, you've got believers who one group says all you got to do is believe and one group says no, you've got to be circumcised and believe. And it is not that separate, it is not the, 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 the practice that is being disputed. What is disputed is a truth that cannot be given to your own opinion. And what I'm trying to get at, church, is this. There can be disagreements in the house. There can be disagreements among the church. There's many denominations. If I tried to start naming all of them, we'd be here all night. There are so many different denominations and so many, I mean, there's just so much divide, if you will, in the church. But what we have to understand is in being unified and moving forward, there are some things that we can disagree on, but there are some things that we cannot 
and we've embraced this mentality of, well, they believe what they want to believe and it's okay, but I believe that the church needs to draw a line in the sand and say, no, truth is truth, and we don't get to have an opinion about it. Not, there is disagreement on practice, but there cannot be disagreement on truth. I'll give you a prime example. There is nothing in the Bible that says you are more holy or less holy with the, with the type of music that you want to worship with. Now, if you go to some churches and some people think this of me, you sing hymns and people think that's not free. Now, if you have someone that sings a hymn and comes into a church like this where they prefer hymns, they may feel like this isn't free. The practice is not disputed. Both are acceptable worship in the eyes of the Lord because God doesn't care what the style is. God cares where is your heart and posture to him and are you singing to him? Are you in love with him? Are you praising him? Are you worshiping him? The practice, it's okay to go separate on that. But then when you've got a dispute like this of Jesus is enough or some people say, well, Jesus is enough, but then you have to do this and this and this, it has to be addressed. And I believe that as we move forward, as a, is, is this okay? I believe that as we move forward as a church and as we grow, we have got to understand how if we're truly seeking all of these people to come in the, houses of, the house of Relentless and disciple them and nurture them and, and, and teach them to walk in the ways of God, we have got to figure out how can we become unified when there will be disagreements and when is it time to draw a line in the sand saying, no, we can't allow that. Because what's going on here is one group is saying Jesus is enough. Another group, well, he's enough, but you got to be doing the law to be made right. Too much division happens because we get more upset about practice and we fail to line it up with God for the cause of unity. You're not more free if you're Pentecostal. You're not more free if you're Baptist. You're not more free if you're Methodist. You're not, that does not make you free. What makes you free is him. It is not your practice. It is him. Luke eleven seventeen says this. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And a house divided against a house false. And if we are going to be a strong people in the name of God, we have got to look at what divides us, line it up, and be humble enough to bring truth to a thing, even if it means surrendering your pride and saying, you know what, I got that one wrong, even though my entire life has led me to believe that I was right. Let me read verse 2 again, Acts 15, 2. Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently. Finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local believers, to talk to the apostles and elders about this question. Look at what Paul and Barnabas did. They did not sweep it under the rug. Because, again, there's no dispute that these people were genuine believers. They're identified as believers in the text. But Paul and Barnabas didn't say, well, you know, you believe what you want to believe, and you do what you want to do, and as long as we agree on Jesus, we're okay. I think we've done too much of that in the church. We've done too much. It's okay to believe how you want when there is only there is the way, the truth, the life. Not in not an array of truth, not in a way, not an array of paths. It's one. 
And there's too many times that people will not come into the doors of a church because they feel like I've got to get everything right before Jesus can accept me. That's exactly what these believers are thinking. Before you're made right with Jesus, you've got to be circumcised. But that's what we do. Well, I can't serve in church until I get this under my life, this under my belt. I've got to get this taken care of. I've got to get that right. I've got to prove myself in the eyes of the pastor. I've got to go through this filter. I, I, I cannot serve until I get it all right. And Paul and Barnabas is like, no, 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 no. The only thing that makes you right is believing in him. And our job is to teach you how to live when you accept the fact that you're now made righteous. There's, there's a... There's a phrase that uh, is going around relentless a lot, and it's return to first love. If y'all know Pee Wee, Pee Wee says that all the time, or he says it to me at least. We talk about that a lot, returning to first love. We have gotten so caught up in practice that we've run from the one who makes it right for us to even speak his name. And if we could just get refocused and line everything up with who we fell in love with and who loved us enough to accept us as we are, if we could just put him at the top of our list and line everything up with him, the divide that causes houses to fall would be extinguished. They confronted it head on. Look what happens in verses 3 through 6. The church sent the delegates to Jerusalem and they stopped along the way in Phoenicia and Samaria to visit the believers. They told them, much to everyone's joy, that the Gentiles too were being converted. When they arrived in Jerusalem, Barnabas and Paul were welcomed. I'm doing this a lot with my hand. When they arrived in Jerusalem, Barnabas and Paul were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and the elders. They reported everything God had done through them, but then some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees, someone shout Pharisees, the believers who belonged to the Pharisees stood up and insisted, no, no, the Gentile converts must be circumcised. They've got to be required to follow the law of Moses. So the apostles and the elders met together to resolve this issue. You see, the Pharisees believed in one thing, that they could be justified in the salvation of God by keeping the law. These believers had that old doctrine. These believers had that old theology. They had a background of a belief system saying that we have to get circumcised to be made right. Now they're believing in Jesus and their old ways, their old doctrine is trying to mingle in with this new thing that Jesus was it. I wonder... Is your life at a place where you have laid every opinion down, every belief down, everything that is what you consider your identity, have you laid it all down at the feet of Jesus, or do you still mingle your old system with this new one? And you wonder why you're torn and falling apart. You want to know why you're torn? You want to know why you're anxious? You want to know why you get depressed at the drop of a dime? You want to know why you're warring against yourself and your soul? Because a house divided cannot stand and if we are the temple of God the house of God you cannot have division within your own self but what happens is we get divided and Jesus says I'm enough but what about this that I grew up in Jesus has says he's forgotten my sins but you don't know how bad I got it's we're divided and we can't even fathom the fact that Jesus our first love said I've cleaned you For a house of God, we can't war against ourselves. 
Surrender means I surrender my right to have my own belief, and I'm going to allow Jesus to tell me what truth is despite my opinion. Proverbs 14, 12 says it like this. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. It may seem right to you, but no, and I've talked about this many times, but it's always good to bring it up again. You are made of three parts, a spirit, a soul, and a flesh. Spirit, soul, body. And when something comes in, you ever heard of that scripture, take every thought captive? When something comes into your mind, comes into your heart, what's the difference? Soul, mind, will, emotions, your flesh, there are certain things that appeal to your flesh. There are certain things that appeal to your mind and your will and your emotions. And there are certain things that can only come into your thought process by way of the Holy Spirit. What you have to do is learn how to line it up. Every single thing that seems right to me, is this appealing to my soul, my flesh, or my spirit? And if I'm saying that my spirit is saved and is under the headship of Jesus, is what I'm feeling he okay with? What they were feeling in this moment is, yeah, Jesus is enough, but we are so used to this system of if we would just do it right, it makes us right. And the apostles were like, no, 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 no. It never worked in the first place. He makes you right. And all this law, you can walk in it and it will produce. But it is not the thing that makes you right. Because we, we also preach a wrong message in the church that Jesus is, abolishes the law, that grace... No, no, no. Grace does not abolish the law. Grace fulfills it. Grace says, you, everything you do will never make you right. So I'm going to make you right so that what you do proves faithful in who you are. The question's been raised. And then, with this whole lining it up, one of our old friends earlier in Acts stands up and starts talking. His name's Peter. Look in verse 7 through 11. At the meeting, after a long discussion, Peter stood and addressed them as followers. Or, or, I'm sorry, addressed them as follows. Brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so they could hear the good news and believe. God knows people's hearts. He confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. So why are you now challenging God by burdening those Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were ever able to bear? We believe that we're all saved the same way by the unreserved grace of the Lord Jesus. The question has been raised. Are Christians made right with God by faith alone? Or is it a combination of faith and obedience? That's basically the question that's rising up in this debate. Is faith alone good, or do I have to do something for my faith to work? And Peter stands up and says, oh, I learned that already. Y'all remember that dream I had when the sheep came down and I said, I ain't going to eat unclean animals? God said, don't call something unclean that I've made clean. These believers who had an old idea of let's follow the law to a T said, no, 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 no. You've got to follow the law to get saved. And Peter says, well, who are you to say they ain't saved? If God made them clean, who are you to call them unclean because of a law that never worked for you? 
because I was actually having a conversation with someone, I believe it was last week, um, they, they live in New York, and they said that one of the cultures there is that a lot of churches try to do good things, and they grow because people want to be a part of something good. But a culture shift, if you will, that's happening, not just in New York, but it's all over the world, it's in Savannah, it's everywhere, is that doing good is no longer just a Christian thing. In fact, I know a lot of people who denounce God that do more good than most Christians. So it's no longer just let's do good things to prove that you're a believer. Peter says, listen, you can do all that good stuff, but it's not going to make you right. Peter says, you're trying to hold them to a salvation standard that Jesus had to come fix. Because if that standard worked, then why are believing in a prophecy that a Messiah is coming to redeem us if the law redeemed you? You think about that for a minute. The Jewish people believe that they're waiting on a Messiah to redeem them, yet they're so caught up in their religion that they're saying, well, we're already redeemed and we're praying for a redeemer. You've got to do what we're doing to make you right. And Peter's like, no, 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 it didn't work. That's why there is a redeemer. That's why there was a prophesied coming of a Messiah. And Peter's like, he came, made us clean. All you got to do is believe. He says, y'all say circumcision is needed, but it didn't work for us. It's not a bad thing, but it's not the qualifier. Which brings us to a very um, somewhat debated topic in the church. The idea that how does faith and works coincide? Because you all know the scripture, faith without works is dead. But Peter just said, well, you ain't got to do the law to be saved. So what is, what is the deal? He says, all right. James 2, 17 to 18. So you see, faith by itself is not enough. Well, that's kind of confusing because Peter just kind of preached a message saying it is. Faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, your faith is dead and useless. It is not saying good deeds produce faith. It's saying your faith produces good deeds. If your faith is not producing something good, it's dead. And it's useless. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God, good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. Let me just drop a bomb on you. Demons believe in Jesus, too. Y'all don't want to hear that, but they do. Because when they hear his name, they believe enough to tremble and shake according to the scripture. So it's not just I believe. Believing in him makes you right, for sure. But the demons don't look at him as someone they want to worship. They just know he exists and they denounce him. So we, in accepting him, he makes us right. But what, differenti what differentiates us in the knowing? Yeah, we're justified, but isn't there supposed to be something? Your works don't save you, but it says in this passage, they are an essential fruit from a true faith. You do not get to have the opinion that so many people believe, well, I believe and that's enough. No, sir. 
Because if you truly believe, it produces something that is good. I'm not trying to say that work saves you. That's not what scripture says. But Peter is saying there are so many of you that are questioning if you're saved, that are questioning do you truly have faith or was it, was it an emotional decision? Well, he just gave you the way to line up, am I saved? If you have true faith, it should produce something that is good. And if your faith is not producing good, according to this, it ain't pure. Now, that's hard for a lot of people to take in. But I'm tired of churches being filled up with people who are empty, who go out there, who people wouldn't even know they're Jesus until you, that they believe in Jesus until you invite them to church. Because we've accepted this Christianity of let's proclaim Jesus and that's it. We'll sign the attendance roster. We'll take a membership class and we'll feel really good one day a week about our crappy lives Monday through Saturday. Because I believe. But is your true faith producing? You got, see, we got to line those beliefs up. We can't have this, well, we believe all you got to do is profess in Jesus. Well, we believe that you should profess in Jesus. And, no, no, no. You don't get to have an opinion about that. Truth says pure faith produces good deeds. Otherwise, it's useless. It does not mean doing good saves you. It means if you are truly changed under the faith of Jesus, the change, it, it produces something in you. And that's a hard thing for a lot of people to hear. Because many of you, under the sound of my voice right now, you're thinking right now, am I producing? Good. Take some inventory. You may have produced before, but he prunes. He don't cut you off. And there's never a time where you stop producing. There's never a time where the fruit of good should not be coming from your genuine faith. The apostles know this principle. So look at what they do in Acts 12. Everyone listened quietly as Barnabas and Paul told them about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. When they had finished, James stood and said, Brothers, listen to me. Peter has told you about the time God first visited the Gentiles to take from the people for himself. Well, and this conversion of Gentiles is exactly what the prophets predicted. And this is what James says. He says, As it's written, Afterward, I will return and restore the fallen house of David. I will rebuild its ruins. I will restore it so that the rest of humanity might seek the Lord, including the Gentiles, all those I have called to be mine. The Lord has spoken. He who made these things known so long ago. And so my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for Gentiles who are turning to God. He's saying, you trying to make them do one more thing. When Jesus did everything. So he says, no, instead, we should write and tell them to abstain from eating food offered to idols, from sexual morality, from eating the meat of strange animals, and from consuming blood. For these laws of Moses have been preached in Jewish synagogues in every city on every Sabbath for many generations. I want, us you, to, I want to, you to notice something here. In the beginning of this passage, I've just read in verse 12, it says, everyone listened quietly as Barnabas and Paul spoke. Because there is an honor and lining it up. But we love to hear ourselves talk. 
And if we would just embrace, okay. if we would just embrace humility in listening, can I just keep going? Okay. Okay. If we would embrace humility in simply listening rather than the hope of being right, a lot of this, a lot of the division that we're handling would be handled more appropriately. Because it's no longer about let me prove myself is right. It's about I'm being humble and I'm listening and I want to line it all up. And at the end of the conversation, he says, let's not make it difficult for them who are turning to God. The door is open by way of believing only. And then he says, after they believe, let's teach them how to live in their new identity as pure and holy. Doing it right does not make you pure. But if you truly believe, then you will yearn for your life to line up with how God sees you. So if your faith is pure and genuine, that you love Jesus, that you believe he is the redeemer, then it produces in you a yearning to I want to do good because as I do things different, as I line my life up with the law and the way and the truth and the life, I start to live by how my father already sees me. And that's what we call restoration. You are restored to a life living that you were originally intended to live, that you could never get by yourself. So he says, I'm going to make you right. Now I want you to just be focused on one thing. Don't do this stuff to get right. Do this stuff to live because I've made you right. David, a believing man, loved God, as we all know. I did a whole series on it. But there was a time when he sinned and he wrote a song, and one line of the song in Psalm 51.10 says this, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. He doesn't say, Save me again. He doesn't need to get rebaptized. He don't need to rededicate his life to Christ. He says, <laughs> he says, make me clean. I want to live again how you see me. So now that I have fallen, not God redeemed me, but I am redeemed. So creating me a clean heart so that I can start producing good again rather than continuing in this line and pattern of sin. I think there's too many of us that are questioning, oh, I got to rededicate or I got to get resaved. And God's like, no, 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 I just need you to ask me to create a clean heart. Well, Acts 15, starting in verse 22, picking up again, it says, Then the apostles and the elders together with the whole church in Jerusalem chose delegates. And they sent them to Antioch of Syria with Paul and Barnabas to report on the decision. What's the decision? The decision is simply this. I need to wait. Okay. Beautiful. The decision is simply this. They don't have to get circumcised to be saved. But they do need to learn how to live a disciplined life. It's called making disciples. So they chose a couple men to go with Paul and Barnabas to be witnesses to it. The men chosen were two of the church leaders, Judas, also called Barsabbas, and Silas. Judas and Silas. I would have hated to be a dude back then with the name of Judas. <laughs> you walk into a place, hey, my name is Judas. What? 
Verse 23. This is the letter they took with them. This letter is from the apostles and the elders, your brothers in Jerusalem. It is written to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and uh, Cilicia. Greetings. We understand that some men from here have troubled you and upset you with their teaching, but we did not send them. Look at how bold they are. So we decided, having come to complete agreement, to send you official representatives along with our beloved Barnabas and Paul who have risked their lives in the name of our Lord Jesus. We are sending Judas and Silas to confirm that we have decided concerning your question. It seemed good, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no greater burden on you than these few requirements. You ain't got to get circumcised. You just got to do a few things. Abstain from eating food offered to idols, from consuming blood, the meat of strange, uh, strangled animals, sexual morality. If you do this, you will do well. Farewell. The messengers were at once to Antioch when they called a general meeting of the believers and delivered the letter. There was great joy throughout the church that day, and as they read this encouraging message, and then... Judas and Silas, both being prophets, spoke at length to the believers, encouraging them, strengthening their faith. They stayed for a while, and then the believers sent them back to the church in Jerusalem with a blessing of peace. However, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch. They and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. They said, we do not speak of our own opinion. We took every thought, every belief, every practice, and we lined it up with God, what's your way? What do you want? They addressed the issue. They talked about it. They put it before the counsel of God, and they lined up their ways under his. And again, the idea of circumcision was never rebuked. They just simply said, it's good, but it, it is not the qualifier for your redemption. Line it up. He makes you right. So come into the house so that you can be taught how to live that identity out. You are made righteousness. So now my life is about how can I live right. So we come into a house of God not to be made right because church don't save you either. In fact, most churches do the opposite. <laughs> just kidding. If, you know, if you're, if you're a pastor out there, just, you know, you're just pray about it. Um, but ch church don't make you right. Jesus makes you right, and the church's jo job is to teach you how to live in the righteousness. The next verse, Acts 15, 36. After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. I love this. They weren't letting the opinion of salvation move them. They drew a line. They confronted it. They weren't going to let it divide the house of God. And you can have different practices all you want, but we are not going to let this be your opinion of salvation because there are certain truths that are not to be given to opinion. I will be so bold to say this. It, you do not get to have the opinion, are there apostles and prophets and teachers and evangelists and pastors today? That's not your opinion. You don't get to make that call. The Bible says they are gifts to the church, and the church ain't dead. You don't get to have the opinion that spiritual gifts are not a thing of today. 
It's truth. They are given to us not for our glory, but for his glory, that in walking amongst the people who need him, we are in communication with the Spirit of God so that he can release what he wants to release and do what he wants to do so that everyone can come to know him. There, there's, you do not get to have the opinion of, I don't have to go to church. I hear that all the time. I don't have to go to church to be saved. No, no, no. You don't have to go to church to be saved. But if you think that you can be saved and then live out and do good deeds without someone discipling you, you are very, very, very deceived. Everyone needs a spiritual father, spiritual mother, spiritual counsel. Everyone needs to be together in order to be taught and discipled to walk into rights, not to walk in the right standing that he purchased for you. It's not enough to create new believers, and they got this. And Paul and Barnabas says, you know what? Let's go back and check on them and grow them and keep each other accountable. Genuine faith is wanting to grow. Remember, faith produces good deeds, good works. And your growth and growing, your growth is limited when you're alone. Because we're called to come together to help each other line it up. Because sometimes when you get a thought or a desire or a heart thing, we, we don't seek, am I in line with God? It's just, oh, this speaks to my heart. When the Bible says that your heart can be the most deceptive thing you have. So you have to make sure that every desire of your heart is lined up. And sometimes you need an accountability to, to say, hey, you must not line that up because that is not what the Word of God says is okay. And how the house is divided. Is this making sense? Is this flowing? Now here's where it gets interesting and funny. Because I think Paul and Barnabas have done a very good job up to this point. They weren't going to stand for false teaching. They weren't going to stand for lies. They were not going to let the house of God be divided. Would you agree with that? Look what happens in these next few verses. Verse 37. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark. Remember, they had just said, let's go to other towns. Let's strengthen the believers. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark, but Paul disagreed strongly. Since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Y'all remember that a couple chapters ago? John Mark just, he disappeared. And Paul was like, I'm bringing that fool with me. And Barnabas is like, well, I want to bring him. And Paul's like, well, I, I, I don't want him. And that's exactly the picture of the church. I don't want that person. Well, I do want that person. Well, you wrong. No, you wrong. Well, look what happens in verse 39. Their, degree, their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. This is Paul and Barnabas. They're like, you know, like supermen when it comes to, like, you know, like super believers, right? They're, 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 they're great men. And they're arguing over Will we let this guy come to us to strengthen churches? They separated. Barnabas took John Mark and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas. Remember the dude that stayed behind because he didn't know why he was staying behind? Paul chose Silas, and as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care, and then he traveled throughout Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Even Paul and Barnabas, after all of this, had a disagreement, and they went their separate ways. But it doesn't say that their ministry was necessarily affected negatively. Why? Their disagreement 
that they divided on was not a truth agreement. It was a practice. Who do I take? Not how do I get made right? You see, it, it can be okay to disagree on practice. But there are certain things that we just have to draw a line in the sand. This is not right. Barnabas wanted to practice with John Mark. Paul didn't. So he took the one that stayed behind, Silas. That decision was not a belief that was practiced, and the church still thrived. And what's funny is later on in Scripture, we see that Paul came back and he started to minister with John Mark. Seems like Paul had some, you know, pride issues or something. It says later that Paul came back to minister with John Mark, and it says Paul valued his contribution to the work of God. Because God can always redeem a wrong to buy when it comes to practice. But will you humble yourselves to line it up and be led by him? Because they may have separated on practice. But if Paul was meant to serve with John Mark, by Paul listening to God, he may have made a wrong decision and got divided for a while. But, it, but you can get off the path and he'll make it work for your good. Not that he planned for you to be off the path, but he can take long steps and says, okay, I wanted you to get there in five years, but now it's going to take 15, but I'll make it work. I, I, I wanted to see that breakthrough in a few days, but I can make that work in six months. Why does it take so long? A house divided against itself. False. He's got to get us realigned. Reposition and line it up. And I'll close with this. I hope this has been okay. I know we've had a lot of glitches and stuff, but I hope this has been okay, Word. I'll close with this in Hebrews 4, verses 12 through 13. The Word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing, hear me, nothing in all of creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. Nothing is hidden. If you're in a season of your life, especially right now during this very confusing time, if you're feeling like you're divided on things, you feel like you're at a standstill, you feel like your life is not moving forward, you feel like you, those, those desires that you had when you first got saved have, been, saved have been doused out, it's time that you start to line it up. Is what I'm giving my thought to and opinion to and life to in line with what God wants? Is what I believe in line with what God wants? If you're listening to me and watching me at night, you, there are certain opinions that you believe in that is truth that you need to put at the feet of Jesus and suck up your pride and say, I'm giving it up. Because it's holding you back. It's keeping you at a standstill. Because if you're divided, you can't stand. And if we would do that, the world would see a church that they haven't seen to such a degree that people would come running to God.
because they see something that the world's looking for. Unity. And the world don't know how to operate in it. Don't know how to thrive in it. And maybe it's time for the church to learn how to do it. To get past the divide and say, you know what? From now on, I don't care how I grew up. I don't care what I've been taught. I don't care what I believe. I'm just, I don't care if it's my family, whatever's. I'm laying it all down. If it doesn't line up with you, God, I don't want it. Let's line it up and become a house that is truly unified so that people would see a faith that produces much more than they could ever dream of. Amen.